Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. How do you define yourself? Like you're at a party and someone meets you for the first time and asks about you. Like what comes to mind when you think about your identity? Is it your job? For a lot of people, that's the first thing that comes to mind. We meet somebody and they say, um, what do you do? And you say, I'm a teacher, an engineer, salesperson, whatever. Um, Sometimes our identity is tied up in our families, right? We think of ourselves at first as a, as a mom, as a dad, as a son, a daughter. Um, maybe in college or, or high school, you thought of yourself as a jock or a nerd or a theater geek, uh, or you may have thought of yourself by your major um, communications or business. Um, maybe you identify through your politics. I'm conservative, I'm liberal, I'm right, I'm left. Um, maybe you think of yourself in terms of, of race. Uh, I'm white, I'm black, I'm Latino, I'm Asian. If it's all about marriage for you, it's like your identity is uh, married, single, divorced, engaged. Uh, you might define yourself by your age. I'm young, I'm old, I'm a boomer, I'm a millennial. I'm a senior living in a senior's home, uh, getting seniors discounts. Maybe uh, you want to be best known as a Leafs fan or a Jays fan. God forbid a Montreal fan. Uh, or by where you were raised. I'm an Easterner. I'm a Westerner. Maybe you think of yourself primarily as how you look. Uh, you're tall, you're short, you're skinny, you're chubby, you're blonde, you're brunette. Maybe it's money. You're rich, you're poor. It's all kinds of way to think about yourself, to identify yourself. Same with churches, um, which is why when someone asks me what kind of church snack is, it can be hard to know exactly what to say because I don't know what kinds of categories um, they're thinking of for churches. Are they wanting to know whether we're Catholic or Protestant? Um, are they wanting to know if we're part of a denomination and what denomination are uh, are they wanting to know what style we are? Are we traditional or contemporary? Are they wanting to know a, sort of our theology bent, uh, reformed, fundamentalist, charismatic, progressive? Y'all aren't a bunch of snake handlers, are you? Uh, do I need to worry about what's in the Kool-Aid? Uh, that sort of thing. You are not primarily your job your race, your gender, your age. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, your primary primary identity is who you are in Christ. Uh, that's the headline. You are his daughter. You are his son. Uh, 
doing life with him as your Lord. That's your identity. And it's the same for the church. It's not about labels of a denomination. It's about who we are collectively in Christ. It's about being his church. Jesus, the true senior pastor of of NAC. In fact, this word church comes from uh, the Greek word ecclesia. And it means the called out ones. You are the called out people of God. And the idea is that as as sons and daughters in this new identity in Christ, we we come together as a new community. Uh, And together as that community, we're in a sense being Christ to the world, Um, being in Christ to the world, and being Christ to each other. And so in this series, as we unveil kind of a revamped vision of what it means to be the church, to, to be able to say, we are knack, I keep coming back to this uh, historical picture of the early church found in Acts 2. It is the dream of the church that Jesus wanted to see lived out. And uh, I know we've heard it the last two weeks, but, but let me... Just read it again quickly, beginning in verse verse 42 of of Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with sincere and glad hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, Digging into this passage, we've seen that when the church is really being the church, they are knowing Jesus. They are growing in a loving community. And today, just look at that third word of our, of our new vision, a going people. Uh, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, they were a church going into the marketplace among their circles of influence and reaching out to those far from God with a message uh, that would change the trajectory of eternities. And it wasn't something happening every now and then, according to this passage. It, it seems to imply this was a daily deal. It was a lifestyle. It was in the DNA of this first church. It was, it was who they were. Um, they weren't turned inward. They were turned outward. And their focus wasn't just on who was there at the gathering, they are also concerned with who wasn't there. In fact, that's what all of their knowing and their growing was was pointed towards. It was pointed towards the going. Knowing and growing wasn't the mission. It's what fueled the mission, if you will. You could say that, um, that they have... They had, we have all of eternity to know God. And one day we'll know him in fullness, the boundless 
riches of his character. You could say that we'll have all of eternity to grow in community as we, as we are part of this family of God. Um, but when you think about it, we really only have this short life to reach out to those far from God. We only have this limited time to go, to go and be the church. So if the church is going to be the church, it will be engaged in doing whatever it takes to see people come to faith in Christ because we're followers of Jesus and that's how Jesus lived. Let me just uh, take you to one moment in his life that along with scores of others just like it, it makes this dynamic so clear. It's found in Luke chapter 15 and uh, Leah read it so great. It says, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now think about this scene for a minute. Here was Jesus spending time with people who, what do the kids say today? Who were sketchy, sketchy reps, right? Tax collectors who were infamous for swindling people, uh, for extorting people. And hanging around sinners, uh, meaning people with foul mouths, shady people, people who cheated others, people who slept in the wrong beds, people who made a habit of lying, people who hadn't darkened the doors of uh, any kind of religious gathering, people who lived lives that went against everything the religious teachers of the day stood for, people who were really far from God. And they were gathering around Jesus, listening to him and and taking in everything he had to say. In fact, they were eating with him. Um, Back in the culture of that day, and actually in some cultures today, if you ate with someone, it was very clearly saying, this is my friend. Uh, This is someone I care about. This is someone I'm, I'm bringing into the intimacy of my life. This is someone I affirm, which is why the religious leaders of the day just couldn't eat with someone who didn't meet their standards and why they even made a point in this remark. Ugh, he even, he even eats with them. It was, it was scandalous. So people were captivated by this man who, while compromising nothing himself, He welcomed others. He spent time with them. He treated them with with dignity. And uh, it was a new feeling, I I suspect, for these people. And he talked with them about a God who loved them and cared about them and wanted to be in a relationship with them. A God who wanted to fill their lives with forgiveness and grace, give them a new beginning, And while that interplay was happening, here come the religious leaders of the day, the pastors of the day, and they gathered together in their holy huddle and they said, can you believe this guy? He's literally eating with the enemy. He, he, he he, He doesn't, he know that we're supposed to be separated from the riffraff. Um, for them, it was about the good guys versus bad guys. It was, it was white hats versus black hats. It was like, you know, pro-family, Christian radio listening, fish sticker on your bumper, 
big Bible caring versus, you know, woke, progressive, dope-smoking, evolution-believing, trans-supporting, Harry Potter-reading <laughs> pagans. Oh, he even acts like them. He's eating with them. He's going to parties. Uh, you know, I even heard the other day that uh, he went to this party. They ran out of beer. He miraculously filled another keg. Can you believe this guy? He's acting like ministry is all about them. And Jesus apparently heard them. I don't know if he used, uh, you know, the divine part of his being, that supernatural bionic hearing. Na, 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 na. That's a reference only kids from the 70s will get. And um, scripture says that, that he turned to them and he was so upset that they had missed the point. So upset that they, they didn't get the father's heart. And he told not one, not two, but three stories in rapid succession, one right after the other. This is the only time in recorded scripture where Jesus told three straight parables to make one point. Maybe because he was so heated. And all the stories he told were about lost things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And in the first story, someone who's been charged with taking care of a hundred sheep, lost one. And he was so concerned that he left the 99 in the open country and embarked on this all-out search and rescue mission to find the one, the lost one. And when he found that one sheep, he, he threw it on his shoulders and called all his friends together and celebrated, look, I found it, I found it. And then he told a story right after that about a woman who lost one of 10 coins so she lit every light in the place and she painstakingly searched through every couch cushion and then found it. And she was so excited, she called all her friends and neighbors together and she said, celebrate with me because I found 10% of my whole net worth. And, uh, and then in one of the most poignant stories ever told, Jesus told about a father who lost his son at least lost him relationally. The son went to his father and rebelliously demanded his inheritance before his father had even died. If you know anything about that culture of the day, that was a heartbreaking slap in the face. That, that would have ruined the whole relationship. That's saying to the father, essentially he wished he was dead. And he took off with his inheritance and squandered it on wild living, ended up with nothing. And wouldn't you know it, the economy takes a downturn, the, the kid ends up working for next to nothing on a pig farm, and it got so bad, and his poverty and his hunger got so intense, he felt like he had no other option. He decided to go home and beg his father for forgiveness. And so he's even preparing this speech on the way home, not sure if he'll be accepted. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you even just take me back as a, as a hired hand? And when he's heading down that road, there waiting for him is the father, a father who had been 
standing on the front porch, looking, hoping, waiting. And when he sees his son, he runs down the road to him. Again, ancient Eastern culture, no father would have done that. It would have been demeaning to the father. But, you know, because it would have been the role of the son to grovel. But in Jesus' story, he, he probably has to hike up his robe. He embraces him, kisses him, puts clothes on his back, shoes on his feet, a ring on his finger, and then throws the most extravagant party imaginable uh, in honor of this returning lost son. And he says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then the real twist of the story, and I think it's the main point of the story, is the so-called good son, the older son, the faithful one who is so incensed that this sinner, this partier, this deadbeat was welcomed back so freely into his father's kingdom. And Jesus has got to be talking right to those Pharisees, right to those religious folk. So in those stories, Jesus made it clear what his mission on this planet was all about and, and what ours needs to be as well. In all three stories, what was lost deeply mattered to God, deeply. And in all three stories, there was nothing that mattered more than finding what was lost. When you, when you love something and it's missing, you search for it. I mean, even when you don't love something, like your keys. And this, this has been a marriage saver this new Apple AirTag thing, uh, because the daily ask of my wife, if she's seen my keys, oh, thank you, thank you, Apple. But some of you have experienced something a little scarier. Like, how, how many have even just for an hour uh, lost their kid? Yeah, F- freaky, right? Happened to me just, just briefly i maybe time was longer than maybe it was only 5 minutes but when i saw that little girl um it had occupied every thought every ounce of energy and seeing her nothing else mattered in comparison and when i found her like you could not have pried her out of my arms and i think that's the heart of god Um, The heart of the Father is one of absolute, ongoing, permanent search mode. Jesus wanted to make it absolutely clear that there is nothing more critical than the seeking of what is lost in order to find nothing. And in fact, the emphasis in the parables is not really on what the sheep and the coin and the son are feeling, but, but what God the Father feels. He misses them. He longs for them. He pursues them. And in the Christian world, we call people who don't have a relationship with God, uh, you know, we, we have tended to call them the lost or lost people. It comes from these parables. I'm not sure uh, if our non-Christian neighbors would appreciate being called lost or consider themselves lost. 
And I wonder maybe if we should even adopt a new terminology that's maybe closer to the heart of this parables rather than referring to unbelievers as lost people. We might say, uh, these are the people that Jesus misses the most. And, and when that person is found, did you notice in all three stories? It's flat out party mode, partay mode. The Bible says that there is rejoicing all across heaven when even one sinner repents. The moment someone becomes a Christian, the moment someone offers their heart to God, uh, the moment the words leave their mouths in prayer, asking Christ to be their leader, their forgiver, at that moment, all of heaven from one end to the other, all the saints who have died and gone before us, the legions of angels all across heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit throw a blowout party and the banner over the head table has that person's name on it. Isn't that something? And Jesus never let up on this. It, it, it just coursed through his teaching, every message, every conversation, every action, all the way to a cross. Think about this. Even, even hanging on that cross, he was working to save one more, wasn't he? Let me, let me just give you some rapid fire historical evidence that this was really the mission of Jesus. Uh, Luke 5, Jesus says, who needs a doctor? The healthier, the sick. I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. Matthew 18, your father in heaven doesn't want to lose even one. Luke 19, I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 14, Go out into the roads and the country lanes and urge the people there to come so my house will be full. On and on and on, the driving force of Jesus' life um, was that he had been sent on a mission and that mission had this singular focus. It wasn't to stay and wait for people to come to him. It was to go and pursue the hurting, pursue the lost, and the prodigals, those who were far from God. So that's the kind of church I think we ought to be. It's the kind of Christian, frankly, I think every Christian ought to be, every church ought to be. A church who knows Jesus fully, who is, who is growing in loving, authentic community, serving each other, but is going um, we want to be a going church, a church that's living out its faith uh, in the real world, being the church by bringing the truth and the grace of Jesus into every interaction. You know, <clears throat> maybe that is more, <clears throat> pardon me, maybe that's more aspirational than it is reality right now, but it's a drum that we need to keep banging, all of us, uh, sometimes being a going church means being an inviting church. Uh, it's, it's even why some of you are here today because someone took the time, took the relational capital to invite you. Um, they wanted you to come and hear and see 
and experience and explore. It's like this, <clears throat> it's like this circle of sending you, going into the world, inviting and returning, sending, going into the world, inviting and returning. Uh, wherein God's gathered people, the, the worship, the proclamation ends up being the best witness. Someone cared enough about you to invite you because they have the heart of Christ for you. So we send people on mission into a world that thinks, thinks that we're all about religion and we tell them and we demonstrate to them that we're actually about a relationship uh, where you don't have to earn God's favor you just have to receive the gift. Trying, trying to show that if you thought that you had to get God to like you, if you thought that you had to get approval from God, uh, or that you know, God was still mad at you somehow, that you would instead see that it's about coming home as a son or a daughter, experiencing the overwhelming, never-ending, even reckless love of God. And for some of you, it, it rocked your world. You crossed the line of faith. You went from, from skeptic to believer, from someone far away to someone who's following. But, but let me challenge you on something today. And in reality, I'm challenging myself on something today. Because just as someone was challenged to go and make Jesus known to you, he's now challenging you to go and make your relationship known in the world. Uh, that's even what part of baptism is about. And this, uh, this morning, if you haven't been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, man, I, I would challenge you to make that commitment known to the church and, and essentially known to the world through the act of baptism, one of the most significant spiritual steps you can take. It's like when you go public for Jesus, and Jesus was real direct about this, and, and what he said is not comfortable. He said, Matthew 11, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. So our vision word, go, it comes from the great commission of Jesus himself. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations. And sometimes we are even lucky enough, blessed enough to live in the right place at the right time in history that we don't even have to go that far. You know, on the day of Pentecost, uh, days after Jesus ascended to heaven and gave his final marching orders, he promised the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the nations were gathered in Jerusalem at that, at that time. They were, they were there for a, a yearly pilgrimage called uh, Shavuot, or, or it's the, the Feast of Weeks. And uh, it's where all the Jews from, you know, all the nations traveled to Jerusalem 50 days after the Passover to celebrate the feast. Now, we think there might have been 100,000 extra visitors in Jerusalem at that time. And here's what it says in Acts. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the sound of the Holy Spirit, 
a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hear them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Egypt, <laughs> parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I love this so much. <clears throat> Jesus promises this would be a nationwide movement. And on the day that the Holy Spirit was officially and dramatically unleashed on the first church, it's like Jesus even made it one step easier uh, in his perfect timing. It turns out the nations were right at their front door. And what happened? Day one, the church exploded. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Church is about 100. Day one, 3,100. Folks, today in 2022, and I'm glad Byron's here because he's the one who really got me thinking about this. We have the unique privilege of living in the GTA where we have the world's most diverse population. The nations have come to us, praise God. Jesus has made it easier for us to go. It's as easy as stepping out our front door over 200 different ethnicities, uh, 140 different spoken languages, half of the population of the GTA born outside of Canada. What an opportunity to go. And uh, maybe you say, yeah, uh-huh, I will. As soon as I get my own spiritual act together, I, I will go. I'll tell you, if everybody waited until they got their own act together, Jesus would still be the only one who ever acted as a missionary. This isn't about reaching a certain spiritual level. It's, it's simply about pointing people to Jesus. Uh, frankly, the only reason, the best reason to go is because Jesus tells us to. Now, if, if you're looking for a sermon on best practices, uh, techniques, strategies in how to share your faith in 2022. This isn't that sermon. Uh, I know there is a longer list of what doesn't work these days versus what is actually effective. Probably, you know, door knocking, street corner preaching, apologetic, angry debates, even evangelistic crusades by and large are not generally an effective method in Canada in 2022. What we have to do is be prepared to be the church, to do life with people, to not see them as projects to be won over, but sons and daughters created in the image of God. And you gotta be in this for the long haul, maybe even perhaps with no resolution in, at least in your perception. You need to be prepared to plant seeds of love and serving and God conversations 
uh, share your testimony without expecting immediate results. It's harder than ever in Canada in 2022. And there's no school to learn how to love your neighbor. There's just the house next door. It's, it's practicum. What I'm learning though is that when you are knowing Jesus through abiding, um, Jesus will actually tell you the next steps to take. Uh, he'll tell you when to be like Paul, who, who subtly found a, a way into spiritual conversations. Paul says, oh, I, I see you have all these uh, statues here, uh, idols to all kinds of gods. I, I can tell you're a very spiritual people. You even have a statue to an unknown God. Uh, I can tell that you're searching. L- let me tell you, if I may, about the God who may be unknown to you, who I think you're actually searching for. Um, he'll tell you maybe even that rare time where you need to be like a Peter and just lay it on the line. Repent. You're sinning. Get right with God today. I'll baptize you today. I see a ditch over here. You know? He'll tell you when to be like Dorcas from the book of Acts. Nice, nice name, Dorcas. Uh, where, she, where she was known in the community for her acts of loving service and kindness that pointed people to God. Jesus will tell you if you ask him. You see how these, how these vision pieces begin to overlap? Like knowing Jesus so he can direct you how to go. Growing in spiritual communities so we can spur each other on to go. And, and you can be free from the guilt of knowing that we can only do our part. People have to do their part. God must do his part. I cannot do God's part. I cannot do other people's part. I can only do my part. But I must do my part. And on any given day, my part, it may just be simply to talk to others about what I love. We, we talk to people all the time about what we love, our hobbies, our favorite bands. If you love Jesus, you're bound to talk about him too. But you can release yourself this morning from trying to talk people into Jesus, okay? We are not going to give up on, this, on the strategy part. Um, uh, we'll come back to that. Good things are happening with Alpha, for instance. But today... Uh, is just about maybe inspiring you, elevating the mission to go. I I was going to end our time with an interview with Peter Alford. As you know, Peter is a healthcare worker, very busy. Uh, We were talking a few weeks ago, and um, uh, we share some similarities. Um, I think, for instance, in terms of evangelism as a spiritual gift, it doesn't rank in either of our top three. Uh, there was a time I would have been embarrassed to tell you that as, as your pastor, but you know, it's okay. We, we all can't rank high in every spiritual gift. It's why we are a body. We have ears and eyes and noses and legs and uh, all together we have the full 
slate of, of spiritual gifts. Everything we need is here. But because it doesn't rank high in my gift mix, doesn't let me off the hook. Doesn't let Peter off the hook. Doesn't let you off the hook. Because every believer is responsible in some way um, to evangelize, whether you are a a 10-talent person, a five-talent person, a a one-talent disciple. Um, You might say serving isn't in my gift mix, but it doesn't mean that you don't have the luxury of, of just being served by others and by everyone else. You know, the model of servant Jesus doesn't allow for that. So here's what Peter began doing. He's a, he's a walker. He's a dog walker. And he listens to the Knack podcast while he walks, the ones he missed. So, hi, Peter. Watch your step. Um, look out for cars. And as he walked, he started to pray. He started to pray for his neighbors. He started to pray over the houses, praying for the salvation of people in his area, people he hasn't even met yet, praying for opportunities to share his faith, praying for providential encounters where he can be light in a dark place. And I was so encouraged by that strategy because in one sense, it it feels like the very least we can do, right? The least I can do, but it's also, it's also true that nothing great of kingdom impact happens without praying first. And if you would take up Peter and myself on this challenge, just to begin to pray, pray for your school, Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your rec hockey team. Pray for your family. Not only will God begin to answer those prayers, I believe it will begin to change you. Your heart will be broken for all, for all the best ways. Uh, you'll see opportunities that you never noticed before. Can we just start with that? I'll close with a question that may challenge you, may disturb you. If Jesus were to come here right now and say to us, I'm going to answer every prayer that you prayed last week, would anything have been answered? Would there be any new people in the kingdom because of our prayers? Would any prodigals have come home? Would any neighbors, friends, family, co-workers experience the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? Let's, let's take our cues from our leader, Jesus, who is the pursuer, who left the comfort of heaven to go to us. And at the very least, may we begin to pray for the eternity of those who we love for those in New Market and beyond. This is our commissioning song. Will you stand as we respond in worship today?